This is Tamarindo Podcast. I'm Brenda Gonzalez. And I'm Ana Sheila Victorino. This is the Latinx Podcast where we discuss politics, pop culture, and how to balance it all con calma. Welcome to the show. episode of Tamarindo, Anna Shayla and I are in our feelings post Warren's dropping of the race, which does not surprise us, but we still rant a little bit. The good news is we've got some strategies to let you relieve some of the anger. And then we're so excited. We are going to talk to Moises Zamora, who is the executive producer and writer of Netflix upcoming show, Selena, the series. What's up, Tamarindo listeners? We are back in the studio post a few exciting slash sad slash I don't even know what to call them, but we've got Warren leaving the race, Bad Bunny's album dropped, and also coronavirus. <laughs> so, so much going I on. Know. <laughs> so Brenda, how are you feeling? ¿Qué pasa contigo? Well, it's, since it's been a few days since Warren's departure, first I was angry. I was not disappointed. I was not surprised, but I was certainly angry at the fact that we are... Um, something else that's happening right now is that we're kicking off Women's History Month. It's March, and we, once again, only have two white men to choose from to elect for president. So and quite old men to yeah, that. Yeah, so it's really disappointing, discouraging. Uh, just another reminder that if you're the smartest, most prepared, most wonderful woman candidate for any job, doesn't fucking matter because a man's going to take it. So it's very depressing. But luckily, Senator Warren modeled for all of us her calma moment, which I think was appearing on SNL and just dancing and just sort of taking the loss with a lot of dignity and being able to just be a human being and laugh and, and, and provide joy. And I think that gave me and hopefully a lot of others, I think the collective sigh of relief that ella lo va a superar, we're going to superarlo because that's what we do as women is we survive. And also I think something that I will draw parallels to Bad Bunny, who by the way, I'm a brand new Bad Bunny listener. I'm not like like a diehard like many of you all. But I did listen, thanks to Radio Menea, by the way. Radio Menea. Hello, shout out to a fellow podcasters, Radio Menea, who did a whole deep dive on their uh, Bad Bunny's new album. Thanks to them, I was introduced to Yo Perreo Sola, which is fucking awesome. And I think will be my anthem. I believe it's Warren's anthem. And it's my anthem because at least tonight, which is Monday, March, I don't even remember what day what it is. What day is I it? I think it's the we- ninth. <laughs> Who knows? As of now, uh, Warren hasn't endorsed anyone. And I don't give a shit. I'm not going to endorse either one of these candidates because... They're fine. I honestly feel fine with either one of them. They're fine. I'm going to support any one of them because after all, what really matters are the issues at stake, which is there are children separated from their families. We need affordable health care for everyone. We need good jobs with benefits. We need quality schools. And I have full faith that as long as we can take over the Senate and we elect either Biden or Bernie, we can keep our eyes focused on that. So that is how I'm channeling the anger 
into reminding everyone and all you all listeners that it's really about the issues. It doesn't fucking matter who's at the top of that ticket. It's about the issues. And we need to support the Democratic nominee because there's too much at stake. We need to make sure that we protect RBG. If you don't like these candidates like I don't like them, just pretend that you're voting for RBG. <laughs> and that's all you need to do. So, Anna Shayla, how are you doing? So... I'm doing okay. I think as the listeners might know, both Brenda and I were supporting Warren. And while I totally understand why some of our listeners might be Bernie supporters or might be Biden supporters even as well, I think we can all agree that misogyny definitely played a role in what happened to Warren. Not, that's not the only thing, right? A lot of things, other factors played in, you know, in terms of her strategy. But it's, it, it is disappointing to see that misogyny still plays such a large role in, in what, what happened in this election. So, yeah, definitely. That's definitely the case. And I think I agree with you. That's something I didn't mention, but I think it's evident because she was such a qualified, fantastic, amazing candidate. And while so many other candidates have dropped out of this race, there was a collective sadness all around. We had this seemingly amazing candidate. I mean, she was, she was an amazing candidate and still we cannot get past the fact that she's a woman and the whole electability question was always looming. So, yeah, I think because she was a front runner and then you saw this electability question pop up right before the primary and I I expected her to do much better than she did. And I think that that story started really taking hold. And I think a lot of people that might have voted for Warren decided that she wasn't maybe as electable as Bernie was for example, or, or, or as Biden, right? And, and we saw that play out in, in the primary results. And I think that maybe a lot of progressive voters decided that whether it was because she, they thought he was more electable or because they just thought that, you know, he was a much or more, you know, more ideologically uh, pure progressive candidate that they were going to go for him. Yeah. And I, one more thing about that, because I do, I think I definitely have had friends that that was their strategic choice. Like Warren was my favorite, but by the time it got all the way to California, in, in order to continue my progressive views, I felt that Bernie was the right candidate to vote for. That's what a lot of friends have specifically told me. And I think really what I will never forgive Bernie for is that misogyny is a problem here, but in in order for us to advance women, men have to give the power up. So can you all just take a moment and imagine a real revolution? A real revolution would be Bernie saying, you know what, back when he, you know, at the beginning of this whole primary, Elizabeth Warren is a better, more capable person. I'm going to back her. Can you imagine? That's a fucking revolution. That is a man giving it up. Yeah, but alas, we don't have that. So, <laughs> but as I said, let's all let's, let's all be collectively positive about the what's at stake and its yeah, the issues. Yeah, for sure. And you know, and I'm also undecided yet. Um, in terms of who I'm going to... You mean well, tu, tu perrea sola like me? <laughs> you know, it's... And, and I think that ideologically, I'm much more aligned with Bernie. Like, that's very clear. I'm like very... And I'm very disappointed that Bernie is... I'm sorry, that Biden is the moderate candidate. Like, I would have I would have much rather had Corey. I would have much rather had Kamala. Oh, I would have yeah. much rather had Pete. And so... I mean, I, this Amy. Is very, I'm, I'm down with some Amy. <laughs> it's, it's... Some Elena. I, I, Yeah, exactly. But, you know, hopefully either one of them do right and select a a female vice president. Yeah, I would love, you know, if it's if it's Biden, I would love for him to to have, you know, Warren ideally. Right. But if I I don't know how how plausible that that is for his campaign. But if not, then Kamala would be great. And uh, what do you think about about Bernie? Could you see him having Warren as his as his VP? Yeah, that would be fantastic. I think that that would be the right 
formula to help ease the anger that a lot of these Bernie bros have is I think that ticket. I think that might that might make them very happy. But you know what? I think, um, and that's why there are, a lot of them are very upset because of where we are a couple of days after her dropping that she hasn't endorsed Bernie because they feel like he, she's somehow owes that to them. And, you know, she could do whatever she wants, but it's, we'll just see what happens. The awesome thing is that I don't have to have a dog in this race because I, uh, the primary has come and gone in California and I right. don't give a shit right, until but November. I, right, right, right. But, 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 we, but we do have to make sure that we do what we can for whatever candidate ends up winning the, the, for the, nom- sure. the nomination. But I'm, I'm willing wait to till can- November. I'm gonna can- I'm, I'll canvas for, for, for Biden as much as that's going to... Yeah, I'll wait till <laughs> as November. As much as that's going to pain me, you know? Yeah, but, I'll wait till November. I got better things to do until November. Yeah. But I will continue to be a champion for the issues because, right. yeah, I think that's the right thing to do is that we just keep focused on the issues. I know that I... I don't have the privilege or the luxury to sit this election out and hope, and I hope any, none of you should really, we should all, none of us should sit this election out. So that's all we got. We got to worry about. So, um, do you have some ideas on how we can relieve some of the anger and stress? Sorry, or do you I have more thoughts. Yeah. Well, actually I did. I did have more, more thoughts. I just wanted to say that I think what is concerning for me as both of us being more progressive, right. Concerning for me on the, on the Bernie side is really making sure that like, if he wants to win, he really needs to focus on expanding his coalition. And I feel like a lot of his supporters are not really helping that in their approach and, and even some of his, his staff. And I wanted to actually read some, Ooh, yeah, I wanted, us, to, I wanted to read this quote or, or this, this comment by, by a supporter that I feel like Bernie needs to make sure he, he sort of a, addresses. So, and it's specifically about some of the other candidates who have dropped out and endorsed Biden. And she says, because someone said, oh, you know, they don't know what they're doing. And she says, oh, they know. They also know Trump will crush Joe Biden. They're just trying to stop Bernie's movement. God forbid we elect someone who cares about the people and wants to help them. It's sickening. The DNC is the enemy of the people. Yes, that's toxic. Do you have thoughts on that? Because I certainly do. Yeah. So... For me, it's like that kind of sentiment, basically what you, what that person is saying, and I've seen, and I've seen this type of thread and I think it's very dangerous and it's not going to help Bernie win if he doesn't curtail that kind of sentiment that is within his, his, his base. Right. So it's basically saying that all of these politicians that are dropped, that are dropping out and are supporting Biden care more about destroying Bernie's movement than actually about the voters and constituents that they were elected to represent. And I just, and it's, it's, like that is a dangerous thought to have. And, and I think that most people would agree that it's inaccurate. I think you've captured it perfectly because while you might be disappointed that the candidates have chosen Biden over your favorite candidate, if you look at the voters that voted for, like, let's say, what's his face? Mayor Pete and Amy, they're the voters that would have voted for Biden. <laughs> there isn't a conspiracy here. They are just rightfully have they're not viable and have then therefore said well my delegates belong to biden because my voters probably would have gone for him mm-hmm. and so i think the narrative that there's a conspiracy against bernie is toxic and it's sad and yeah and i think you're right i think you're absolutely right that the, the, i would like bernie to do more to have control of the narrative and to control these People, I've also heard a lot of the Warren surrogates and people that work for Warren got rape threats. Like, this is not uncommon. Some of these Bernie bros, some of which might be robots, but some of them are literally people that I know, (laughs) are really triggered. And it's mostly men. And so those are the things that I find alienating from both of these candidates. Biden, I find... I don't find actually don't find him as alienating himself. I don't I think it's I think he's 
old school in a bad yeah. way. I think he didn't. He needs to catch up with the time, and maybe he should just retire and go hang out and be a grandpa because he's so out of touch. So, so that's why he doesn't inspire me. Yeah. Yeah. And Bernie doesn't inspire me as much um, as I wish, as, as, as Warren did, because I just don't think he's done that much. But I, I have to do one thing is like, I have to do mi respetos un poco because yeah. he did learn from the last election and he has built a more inclusive coalition. And I also know that I've been guilty of pushing this narrative too that they're all you know the people that support him are all bernie bros and it's not the case no yeah but there's some very there's some vocal bernie bros for sure for sure and 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 yeah yeah we need to make sure that we call that out there's so many wonderful bernie supporters that are friends and you know that we that we love and but there is this small faction of, of bernie supporters that are that are not helping the his his case and 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 also the the setting up this equivalency of a biden potential presidency being the same as a trump presidency yeah we all have to stop that narrative because that the toxic energy that i you know i've been guilty of of pushing out and that that on the other side as well all of that is going to ensure another four years of trump and none of us can afford that so let's come together <laughs> um, and just remember the issues and stick to the issues. But um, so, Anna Shayla, um, what are some ways that we can kind of relieve some of the steam that uh, everyone's feeling with this very competitive primary election? Yes. So we, I actually wrote something on how to cope with pinche, po- pinche politics. Pinche, po- <laughs> I like pinche, pinche politics. <laughs> A ver, how do we cope with this pinchy politics? So the first thing is, how can we use the anger that we're feeling constructively? So can you join a volunteer group? Can you donate to a cause? That's I sure did do that. Let me tell you what I did. I became you do? a presidential, I think that's what they call it, presidential, presidential circle donor to Unidos U.S. National Latino Civil Rights Organization, donating $100 a month. That's one wow, thing I did. Wow, I love that. Okay, and another thing you can do is stop reading and posting so much. Oh, no, Anna Shayla, I have so much fun. <laughs> well, so just well, be right, right, just be bad, mindful of, of how it's starting to affect you, right? 100%. Are you are you reading and is it spiraling you down? Is it is it doing anything helpful still or is it just kind of pushing no, you down it's this just negative making spiral? Me angry. It's just and then, making and then me angry. with posting, one thing I do, there's been times that I've wanted to post something, but it's then I stop myself because I think about do I have the emotional capacity to handle a response that doesn't agree with me at this moment if i if i do then and i'm willing to, to to share then i will but if i'm not willing in that moment to be caught up with potential back and forth and i'm like okay let me leave this for a time when i feel like i have the time and, and emotional capacity to to go back and forth with that's someone. a good check i like that mm-hmm. next shift your attention can you think about actions that make you happier more grounded or maybe more efficient so for example if you cut yourself in this negative spiral of reading a bunch of articles like can you shift your attention to something else that will be make you a little bit more efficient with your with your day i'll think of something <laughs> and then of course meditation and taking deep breaths so if you're starting to feel overwhelmed always taking a, a deep breath in and then exhaling for a longer period of time and repeating that several times that always helps uh let's see what else and exercising so exercising not only makes you feel better but actually actually lower the threshold at which you start to feel kind of angry or aroused those so. are all very good things. Thank you. And I did. You're so welcome. I did a couple of those things. Still working on the social media thing, but I did go on a hike and a bike ride and a workout on Sunday. 
And in one of those occasions, I left my phone at home as a yes, way to not be I on love that, media. Brenda. And how did you feel? <laughs> I felt much. I felt yeah. I was very helpful. I think it was it was super helpful. The other thing I did is write. As I you wrote, wrote yes. yeah, I wrote out my anger. So that should be coming out on latinorebels.com. Check that out. I love that. Okay, well, um, there's also some other exciting things we've been doing. So, Ana Sheila, what's yes. coming up for us? So we have an amazing event coming up. It is called Your Story is Your Superpower, and it is a storytelling workshop that we are organizing with Teatro Luna, which is a female theater in Boyle Heights, and Latinas Who Brunch. So the storytelling workshop will be happening on April 5th at 12 p.m., and we will be putting the information for that on our bio, as well as our show notes, and we'll be promoting it on, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter I love that. I love that. So we hope to see all of you on April 5th. Speaking of storytelling, we spent time with the executive producer and writer of Netflix's upcoming Selena, the series, Moises Zamora. Before working on Selena, Moises was a staff writer on the Emmy-winning series American Crime and star on Fox. Born and raised in Jalisco, Mexico, this award-winning writer and filmmaker kicked off his creative career writing in Spanish, just like Selena did with her music. So we enjoyed getting to know the brains behind the Selena series, and we can't wait for you to hear from Moises as well. So let's Take it away with our interview with Moises. Do you struggle with speaking Spanish, feel judged or shame around speaking in front of others? Is Spanish part of your identity, culture, or background? We want to introduce you to Spanish Sin Pena. They are on a mission to help you learn and reclaim Spanish and be able to speak con confianza. See, si, join their community of Latinx leaders, learners, and allies and learn more about their eight-month coaching program that launches in April. They also host local meetups and provide a safe space to come together and practice with others on the same journey. Whatever your Spanish level, language can connect us to our culture and open up new professional and personal opportunities. It is possible to learn and speak Spanish sin pena with the right mindset, tools, and support. Con Spanish Sin Pena, si se puede. To learn more, follow at Spanish Sin Pena on Instagram and Facebook or sign up for their newsletter at SpanishSinPena.com. Ana Sheila, have you heard of Fuchila Fresheners? Yup, you heard that correctly. It's Fuchila Fresheners as in Fuchila your feet smell, or fuchila, your car smells like feet. It's the original, nostalgic, Chicano, Latinx car and roof fresheners for your everyday life. Like those little trees, but for the culture. Yes, and I love them. They have designers like Frida and Pancho Villa. Conchas are my personal favorite, Hot Cheetos. But they don't just stop at air fresheners. They bring the fuchi with nostalgic collectibles such as pins, stickers, and even panaderia style calendars. Oh my gosh, I love their stuff. Right now, fuchila is offering a special promo for all tamarindos listeners for 20% off your purchase with the code TAMARINDO20. That is TAMARINDO20. You can purchase all your Fuchila Fresheners and gear at FuchilaFresheners.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at Fuchila Fresheners. Welcome to the Fuchila family. And just in case you don't know how to spell Fuchila, it's F-U-C-H-I-L-A. Fuchila Fresheners. Moises, thank you so much for joining us on Tamarindo today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are in your beautiful office space. Is it beautiful? I think it's a mess. Lots I love of, it. I love like it. You can tell you're like an artist, a creative y todo eso. <laughs> I have too many books. I need to read them all. I'm not yet there. <laughs> so Moises, you're the executive producer of the upcoming Selena series that we'll be able to see on Netflix very soon. 
Yes. Or how how soon can you share that? Yet? I cannot. I only can say that it's going to be this year. Okay, <laughs> That's it. as much. Well, I regardless, can. it's muy exciting. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about how this opportunity came about? Well, you know, I think you already talked about a little bit about my background, um, but I actually started as a writer of novels and prose and narrative. So that led me to a couple of accomplishments in Spanish. I published a novel, got a literary award. And, in Mexico, but you know, living in Los Angeles and realizing how much all the work that a novel takes to write, and having a limited sort of audience of, uh, of readers uh, to have access to it, I, I you know, I kind of came into the realization that maybe entertainment was something I could do, you know, because the reach of TV and film is, you know, global. So it's like, who doesn't want to tell a very personal story and share it with the world? So my my trajectory uh, began when I, I made that switch into screenwriting and it, it led to a couple of uh, a, really surprisingly immediate like successes, especially getting um, hired for American Crime on ABC by John Ridley. And then... Um, uh, followed by Star by Lee Daniels and Tom Donaghy. And after that, I realized that, you know, we needed more Latino stories. And one of the things that was especially, you know, me being a Mexican immigrant and uh, having into uh, living in two worlds, I really wanted to pursue really authentic Mexican-American Latinx stories in the thing about entertainment right now, it's, it's really important to have IP, intellectual property, like a book, somebody's life rights, especially for emerging writers uh, like me. So I found this um, incredible story about uh, this uh, Mexican 13-year-old girl who is... Um, considered the world's youngest psychologist so she is just incredibly smart of course like massive iq apparently she could read and write like at three and algebra at five like so i was so fascinated and i, I believe actually it was a remescla article that i found on facebook and i'm like why isn't a movie or a tv show about her and how can i get a hold of you know the parents or, or her story because um, i think it would be like you know a very inspirational story to tell so i i did a lot of research i i, I found that uh, the family actually has three genius kids she's the third and they also founded a center for genius kids and i was able to get the rights for her life story and we're working on a project right now with her and as a result of that my agency caa really you know was impressed that i got was able to do that and put me in touch with Campanario and who is a production company uh making Selena and you know for a meeting and uh I came in, I went to the meeting and we talked and uh you know pitched the vision and I was able to get on board wow and so you're you're the executive producer and you're also the the writer the main yeah. the main writer mm-hmm. and you have a write, a larger writing team yes okay. yeah i had a writing team of uh, latinx writers yes wow it's mm-hmm. incredible so you mentioned that you're a published author and you started off in, in writing mm-hmm. and I, and you had mentioned that your in your first book was in spanish even though you moved to the us at a relatively young age from from mexico right right so Tell me a little bit about why you, you decided to write in Spanish, even though, you, you know, it, English had become your, your, your more dominant language, I'm assuming? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it's just, I think that 
it was a combination of fear. It was a combination of like being intimidated by the, the you know being a Mexican kid in, in America and trying to pursue something creative. Uh, of course, like you know when your parents move to the United States and uh, they want the best for you and the best for you is education and and a career and your usual, right? Like a lawyer, doctor, because like we can understand that. Is there something tangible? There's a degree. There's that need. But when you tell them that you want to become a writer uh, and that is your life purpose and commitment and meaning right after graduate from college, then it, 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 it's it's difficult for them to grasp, you know? Like, what does that look like? What There's no trajectory. What kind of writer? And when then you, you tell them that you want to write in Spanish, then it's just like, what? You know? Uh, nothing wrong with choosing Spanish, but how does that, that going to function in, in, in the United States? How are you going to make money, you know? And um, for me, it was a very personal decision. I had taken, I went to Brown University and they had an incredible, like, uh, playwriting program. And so I... I I fell in love with with writing uh, for the stage, and then I transitioned into creative writing, narrative, and prose. I found myself that when I would write in my journal, it would start in English, almost like in a very academic sort of way of writing. And then when I get emotional, I'd have to write something emotional without knowing it would it would switch over to Spanish. So it was this weird thing that like, whoa, like, you know, I had a, I only completed sixth grade in, in, in Mexico. So I don't, I, there's something that was kind of pulling me to my roots. I, you know, even though my Spanish at the, at the time was not in great shape, you know, I had forgotten a lot about it, especially, you know, makeup words and grammar and it all makes sense to me, but not really. And I think I was out of my mind thinking that I could just write a novel in Spanish because <laughs> I had to teach myself how to write at a literary level and, and you know, more than 200 pa- you know, pages. But it was part of my identity and I really wanted to explore that. And, and I felt that I could, like, have success writing in Spanish over English, which I think, you know, was not an unfounded fear that how many authors, you know, U.S. Latino authors have you heard about? You know, I've heard about Garcia Marquez, you know, Carlos Fuentes, the international phenomenons, but I didn't see many people with my background, you know, publishing novels in English. So I did that maybe out of fear and insecurity, but it, it, it brought me all the way to now writing in English for our American audiences. And, you know, we're, we're global audiences for Netflix is a global streamer, but in English. So, ironically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that wanting to write in Spanish and feeling like you started writing, you would write in your journal in English and switch to Spanish. That mm. really resonates with me. And I, and I spoke on a, on a previous episode about a spiritual experience I had in, in Mexico with the language of Spanish and in honoring my, my dad who passed recently and how I realized that Spanish was the language of my, my heart and of, of my soul and how I've been kind of tapping back into Spanish in my daily use and also in, in my writing as well. So that, that resonates with me a lot. And there's something about it, right? If you grew up with that kind of uh, literary tradition, it's just it's, it's really almost impossible to pull away. I mean, I, even when I write in English, I can tell that I've been influenced by some of the greats that I really adore reading in, in Spanish, like Juan Rulfo and some of the poets, the Latin American poets, Pizarnik. And actually, 
go back more to reading poetry in Spanish than in English, for that matter. It's just it, it, there's something about the poetics in, in Spanish that, like you said, it like it, it moves your soul, and, yeah. and, and there's something about that identity that it just I don't think I'll ever let let it go. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. So you mentioned also that when you decided to write in Spanish, that you didn't you thought that you would have more success than maybe a Latino writer in, in the U.S. So you know the release of American Dirt in the aftermath felt a little bit like a mini watershed moment for me in terms of Latinx activism as it uh, refers to media representation and Latinx storytelling. I'm wondering how those events in- inspired you and-, and what you're trying to do through the work that you're doing, Selena, and other projects that you might... You know, that when I read about that, and it sort of kind of exposed a lot of what's happening in the publishing industry here in America, it kind of proved my point. You know, if it's bad now, I'm sure it was worse then or it was still pretty bad then. So in a way, it kind of, uh, I'm kind of glad I went that other route. However, I do think that one of the things that, one of the best advices that I got was from, luckily, from Nadine Gordimer, the uh, Nobel Prize winner from South Africa. I went to a conference in the Guadalajara Bookstore, well, about her book fair, I'm sorry, uh, when I was uh, promoting my book in my little booth, you know, uh, when I had just published it. And I asked her a question and, you know, what what do you do to make sure that your voice is heard and may, you may not have the means or the big, you know, the bigger publishing houses to get as many readers as possible. And she simply said, you know, you already have the tools, you know, clearly, you know, you're publishing, you're writing in Spanish and you're, you know, you speak English really well. So you have two other languages that are mostly spoken in the world. And all you have to do is keep writing because those, those two languages, so many people can understand you. And that's really key and really important. And, and in a way, I, to answer your question is, I think that, if you're a bilingual individual like me, you know, you have twice as many possibilities to get your story out. And uh, if one door is not open for you, there are other ways to get in. And now with like internet and other platforms, and it's, I feel like content creation is in the hands of, uh, you know, anybody really, you know, with a camera, with a typewriter, with a typewriter, what am I talking about? <laughs> with a laptop, uh, you know, anybody can put their content out. And I think that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So beyond Selena, what are other stories that you want to tell or what are you excited about right now? You know, gosh, I mean, I, I wish I could. I have a couple of projects that I really want to share, but I'm not allowed to share. But one of the things that I really love is merging genres. You know, if it's a sci-fi, what, can it be something else? You know, if it's a coming of age, can it be horror? You know, and... Now that I've been in, in, in such a in Selena world for so long, which is grounded, it's a period piece, it's a bio series. Like I'm, I'm really looking for other genres, like totally the opposite of that, like sci-fi, animation, horror, even like magic realism, because I know so cliche. But I grew up with that. But what does that look like now? Mm-hmm. How does that sort of translate contemporary? And what's something else that we can like? add to it to make sure that it feels authentic coming from a like Mexican-American voice, you know, writing from Los Angeles. Definitely. All right. So talking about Selena, I know this is what made us excited to speak to you because mm-hmm. Selena speaks so much to our audience and to us as Mexican-Americans or Mexicans, but almost Mexican-Americans. We, we kind of dance with that label because we're technically immigrants, but oh, yeah, tenemos muchos años aquí, so et cetera, et cetera. What Selena means to so many of people like us 
how does it feel to have that tremendous pressure to live up to what Selena is and has become? And I mean, honestly, I'm I'm, I'm stressed out for you <laughs> because of the pressure that, that 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 carries. So how does that? How do you handle that pressure? I suppose that um, I kind of what I do is I, I don't really focus on the pressure so much. I understand that I, it, you know whatever we put out there, it's it's gonna have people are gonna have opinions about it because Selena is such a beloved figure and and she's so inspirational and and it's just like what an incredible story of you know about achieving a, a, an American dream, the Mexican American achieving American dream. But you know, I it's just what I do. I put like. I do all my best I could I, I I can do and like with the bottom of my heart and and always from a place of uh, gratitude to get this far it has been a long journey for me and for a lot of the people that are involved in the project and it's basically I'm just following the steps of Selena you know she worked so hard and for so long to deserve the place that she has right now for everyone that the only thing you could do to honor that is basically do the same work hard don't give up treat people kindly and you know offer them like the best that you could give especially if it comes from your heart and it's genuine and it's honest and it's and that's what i'm trying to do that's what i do yes like of course it's you know it's, some days are really stressful and i just have to keep reminding myself that i'm already living the dream and all i could do is just show up and um in talking about selena like what does it mean to the way you grew up thinking about Selena, and I think you've described really in beautiful words uh, how she was, you know, was her authentic self, and that's sort of what you're bringing into this project, and that's what kind of relieves some of the pressure for you is that just knowing that you're doing it con todo corazón. Mm -hmm. What does Selena mean to you? Because I think she, she's iconic; it means so much, and, and not only because she died so tragically. I mean, mm -hmm. that certainly propelled the story forward, but I think her experience navigating those two worlds of being Mexican, Mexican American or quien sabe or like that, the identity issue. What does she mean to you personally? What are, what are some of the connections that you see with her life and your life? One of the things that it's just a reminder is that how she had to conquer in Spanish first, you know, before she could have the opportunity to cross over. And that was very similar to what happened to me. You know, I went and wrote a novel in Spanish Spanish, and I had to learn how to do that at a literary level. What I could probably would have done a better job in English at the time, you know. Or so to me, that just reminds you and everyone like that. It's okay to pick a different path to get to the same place, you know. And uh, and I look up to her. I grew up with. You know, having this sort of idol that just it was for us and only us. You know, I almost kind of got jealous when she was going to do the crossover because it was just like, no, I don't want to share her. <laughs> but it, but at the same time, it makes sense, and it's something that like it gave us uh, the permission to all of this. You know, the kids that are struggling with that, you know, double identity, to ask for both. To deserve both. I love it. I love it. That's wonderful. Well, we're really, we're really pleased that you spent some time with us. I think it just makes us extra excited. And hopefully all our listeners getting to know you personally and how your corazón is going to come through in this project is just making me excited. I'm sure the listeners are super excited for this upcoming series. So um, to just wrap up our time with you, we always 
conclude with the same three questions for all of our guests. So first, it's uh, what would you give a matraca to? So this is what you're giving a shout out to, what you want to see more of, what you're excited about. In, I I want to see more of. I'm I'm actually really excited about all the new voices. You know, uh, matraca to the people, the creators, Marvin Limes and. Linda V. Chavez and Hentified, but also in the music world. I want to give it a track to Bud Bunny, man. Yes! I mean, yes, that, yes. <laughs> you know, ese conejo malo, like, really is just killing it. And he's doing it in his own way. And he's doing it kindly, compassionately, politically. And he's using his platform to, um, you know, reach out to our own community and just address difficult issues. So, you know, shout out to Bad Bunny. I love that. I'm a brand new Bad Bad Bunny listener. Yo Perreo Sola is my fucking anthem right now. <laughs> and Ana Sheila's jumping in because she's been a diehard fan. I'm brand new. I'm, a, I'm jumping under this bandwagon. All I was going to say is that I've listened to the album like five, six times already. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So now what goes in la basura? What, you're, what are you sick of seeing? What is trash? You know what? It's still happening. And I think it's racism within our own life. Next community. Basurazo for that, for and sure. That goes to the tias too. They're like, ay, mira, que bonita, que bonita salió. Mm-hmm. And like, make a big deal about like, you know, the color of our skin as a determining factor of how beautiful you are. A so like, the colorism in our Latinx community, out, out, out. Y fuera, definitely. And then lastly, at Tamarindo, we also like to balance it all con calma. So what is your calma moment? Where do you find places to be grounded or how do you find places to be grounded or relieving stress, etc.? But the, uh, the technical thing that I do is I do meditate. So I do transcendental meditation and it's just a little mantra that I, and, and it goes into this takes me to a deep place and it it does release stress but on the creative spiritual side i like i mentioned before i poetry and right now i want to shout out to uh, this new poet i discovered a mexican-american immigrant marcelo hernandez castillo and his book uh sensontle beautiful beautiful lyrical poetry that it's getting me through right now oh i love that well thank you so much for spending time at tamarindo we cannot wait for the series we can't wait for anything else that you're involved in muchísimas gracias thank you thank you for having me Tamarindo Podcast is independently produced by Ana Sheila Victorino and Brenda Gonzalez. Jeff DeVoe provides original music and sound engineering, and Michelle Andrade provides editing and production support. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and at Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. And if you like the show, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene 
preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI 220099. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.